In July of 1945, the war in the Pacific was nearing its dramatic conclusion, but the soldiers and sailors in both the U.S. and Japanese militaries didn't quite know it yet. After delivering the ultimate weapon, one U.S. heavy cruiser would be torpedoed and sunk. You know, these things happen in war, unfortunately, but uh, what came next was nearly four days of a hellish struggle to survive caused by bureaucratic incompetence. In this week's episode of HPH, we're telling you the story of that ship and the following days in which humans are once again reminded that the ocean hates you and wants you to die. Grab a drink of oily seawater and settle in for this episode of 100 Proof History, known as the USS Indianapolis. Holy ship! This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Oh no! This is a bad storm! We need to batten down the hatches! We... We don't have hatches. This is a Portland-class cruiser, seaman. Sorry, sir. It's just something I heard in the talkies. <laughs> Back to your post, seaman. We're on the precipice of battle. Oh, my God! Lieutenant! If I don't make it out of this alive, please give this letter to my wife's boyfriend. <laughs> Excuse me? Why are you writing letters to your wife's boyfriend? It's not important! Really? Are you gay, seaman? <laughs> not that I care, but Uncle Sam might take exception to that. Just forget it, Lieutenant! Consider answering the question a direct order, Seaman Johnson. No, sir! I'm happily married! Then why are you writing a letter to your wife's boyfriend? Well, I guess since we probably won't make it out of this alive, I can share my secret. I'm not gay, but Hambone is. I've been tortured many a late night, drunken evening when Hambone and my wife's boyfriend make love. If you could even call it that. What the fuck is a Hambone, seaman? He's who wrote the letter. The seaman removes his glove to reveal his, his naked hand, covered in lipstick with googly eyes affixed. What in the unholy fuck is this, Seaman? <laughs> is this some kind of joke? You're a joke, you son of a bitch! <laughs> Excuse me, Seaman! Why don't you bring that big old hog over here and I'll show you, Seaman. <laughs> I told you, sir. Hambone is the spirit of a disembodied hand that travels through time and space, <laughs> haunting a new vessel when the previous one dies. The lieutenant stares at Seaman Johnson, scanning back and forth from his eyes to his googly eyes <laughs> in utter disbelief. I'll deal with this later. We have a battle to- Wow. That was amazing. And scene. That was amazing. Wolf Dick, round of applause for that. That was that was fantastic. I was not expecting that at all. Listener. Gregory lied to me. He deceived me. He said, hey, I have nothing prepared for this episode. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the hell this is even about. Then all of a sudden, that just happened, and it was... 
Oh, it was amazing. I, I may have orgasmed several times throughout that whole thing. Thank you. I'm used to people <laughs> lying about orgasms, so <laughs> I take it in stride. And we're going to need that kind of thing today, Gregory, because we are talking about the USS Indianapolis, which is just an awful story. If you have these delicate sensibilities, maybe you should, uh, first of all, what the fuck are you doing here? Did you just stumble on this fucking podcast on accident? Did that, yeah, did that bit right there not just clue you in that Ooh. you should turn this off? Like you're listening <laughs> with your, your grandma and your pastor as you drive down the road to a, homeless shelter to help you know feed the hungry and you're like i'm sorry i thought it was about history i thought you know grandma lived through world war ii well they were on the way back from the church and grandpa died at the ripe old age of 103 and he was one of the uh survivors of <laughs> oh don't say survivors it's a spoiler <laughs> one of the crewmen of the uss indianapolis and well, how's it a spoiler? Was he 103 when he died on the fucking ship? Just this old-ass motherfucker hanging out there. Survivor implies that something bad happened, Chris. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. That intro didn't give but, it away. But, uh, you know, they're on the way home, and and the, uh, the granddaughter wants to show it to the great-grandson, like, oh, you know, this is what your great-grandfather did. And then they search podcast, USS Indianapolis, and this comes up. <laughs> And all of a sudden, there's a spirit of a disembodied hand jerking <laughs> off somebody's wife's boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. That explains why Grandpa always kept those googly eyes in the garage. <laughs> Tubes of lipstick. <laughs> oh, the Grandpa was this guy? He was private, or Stephen Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Charlie, you go inside and play with your grandmother now. I'm going to go see the neighbor. I am too. Shh, shh. <laughs> Keep it under wraps. We've made it this far. <laughs> And then they left the funeral, I listened to the podcast, all of a sudden the pastor's like, oh god, what's happening to me? And he raises his hand, I'm back, bitches! I've been passed on beyond the grave! <laughs> the little great-grandson, it's extra high-pitched. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here! <laughs> He's only seven! <laughs> He'll grow into it! All the boys do. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hambone's messed up, man. Hambone is just really unscrupulous character. Yeah. <laughs> Zero scruples about him. Well, like I was saying, this story is pretty dark. A lot of awful stuff is going to happen to these guys. So if that kind of thing upsets you, please don't listen to this episode because, you know, we're going we're gonna to try and make jokes through it. Uh, not at their expense, but just trying to keep you guys from going, God, I just want to eat the barrel of a rifle right now and end it all. That's why I make jokes all the damn time. Because I'm just keeping the gloomies away. Just uh Yeah. The clouds aren't chasing themselves away. That's right. We gotta do it through self-deprecating cuckoldry jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Gregory. Today our source is in harm's way by Doug. Stanton. Uh, this is a very good book. I really, really did enjoy this book. One of the best books I think we've read for this series. It's a short one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can plow, power through it pretty quick. It reminded me a lot of The Fault. Oh, not The Fault in Our Stars. God damn it. That's a Nicholas Sparks book about handicapped kids falling in love. Uh, it reminded me of. <laughs> oh, the, uh, indifference, <laughs> the Indifferent Stars Above. 
Different Stars Above, you know, very yeah, cool yeah. book about survival. And maybe that's just my thing. Maybe this, the survival part of it is makes it a lot easier for me to get through. But well, I love that shit. Like once you get into that real human emotion side of things. Yeah. And, and that's that's certainly what the Indifferent Stars Above did. Yeah. So this book tells a lot of personal stories, the survivors and the guys involved. Um, we're going to kind of tell more of a general story from their perspective. Because, you know, if not, it's basically an audiobook version of that if we're telling those guys' stories. And, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, the audiobooks drive me crazy because of the voices the narrator feels like he has to do. Oh, I don't know. If you get a really good narrator, man. Yeah, but. They're special. 90% of them are Stephanie walked in the room. She was all breasts, legs. She was the epitome of sexiness. Hey guys, how are you? <laughs> she said seductively. Like, gosh damn. It's like, yeah, that's how I sound when I go out to the clubs too, but no one thinks I'm sexy. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe sexy isn't just the voice. <laughs> right. Or maybe the voice has to match the rest of it. Yeah, that's true. Hey, daddy. Uh, yes, Mr. Bearded Man. <laughs> oh. Nothing what you thinking about. Uh, I don't know, but I'm creeped right the fuck out right now. <laughs> well, Mr. Christopher, are you ready to start the show? Oh yeah, we got uh we got some terrible things to talk about. Let's uh let's get yes. pumped. Let's get pumped. Mm. I'm gonna do some fucking Pilates, get mean. Woo. <laughs> I've been listening to the Rocky Four soundtrack and jerking off all day just to get ready for this. <laughs> I'm severely dehydrated, but that's okay. <laughs> the USS Indianapolis, a Portland-class cruiser, as you may already know, was built in 1930. She was 600 feet long, weighed nearly 10,000 tons, and was armed with nine eight-inch guns. Oh. And her four steam turbine engines could move her at 32 knots. All that is to say she was big, fast, and packing a lot of heat. Mm. Just like Greg's mom. Wolf, they give me some. Mm. Come on, man. <laughs> I'd suck her eight inch guns. Shut up, Hambo. <laughs> Not the time. That is, I, that's another thing we need to clear up. Eight inch is referring to the diameter of the barrel, not the length. These tiny fucking guns just. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. Some long-barreled pistols hanging off the side. <laughs> Eight-inch barrel. Big-ass handgun. Very tiny ship-to-ship uh, -ship combat gun. Take that, Tojo. It just drips out and falls in the ocean. <laughs> when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, the Indy was off conducting a training exercise. The ship was immediately launched into action, and over the next few years would see several engagements against the Japanese. I also saw several engagements with the Japanese in my short time as a geisha. <laughs> Emphasis on... <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to say it. You don't even have to say it. <laughs> Unbelievable. In November of 1944, the ship was placed under the command of Captain Charles B. McVeigh. His dad had been a U.S. naval hero in World War I, and Chucky B. followed in his daddy's footsteps. Earlier in World War II, McVeigh had won a silver star for Courage Under Fire. It's my favorite Meg Ryan movie. Look it up, people. 
I think that's what that was. I don't know. I, I think that's who was in Courage Under Fire. May have been a Denzel Washington. I this, think you're thinking just, of You've Got Mail. This is just it's falling apart. Yes. Tom you've Hanks. Got Mail is my favorite war movie of all time. It's subtle. You know, there was, there was probably a war going on at some point. <laughs> <laughs> In 1944, McVeigh and the crew of the Indy had aided in the U.S. invasion of Iwo Jima. Then, in March of 1945, in Okinawa, a kamikaze pilot smashed his plane into the ship, killing nine sailors. Well, they were nine sailors. Uh, unfortunately, I think they became nine sinkers. <laughs> they weren't sailing anymore. <laughs> Moment of silence. Thank you. Does anybody know how to play taps? Wolf Dick? No? Nobody? I, I've thought about this before. I think I would make, like, the world's worst kamikaze pilot. Like, I'd be barreling in, and I'm like, this one's for the Emperor, and as soon as I got close to the deck of the plane, like, nope, pull up. Just... And just keep on flying. Landed California. By then, I've thrown on a wig and some lipstick, and it's like, it's me! Amelia Earhart! I made it, fellas! <laughs> Why are you talking with your hand? <laughs> you look like a man! <laughs> she kind of looked like a dude. She's kind of butch. You look nothing like Amelia Earhart. <laughs> Earhart. But I just sailed across the world, around the world. It only took me like 20 years, but I made it! Here I am! I'm a hero! I've seen photos of you! <laughs> You haven't aged a day. Get over here, you. <laughs> Smear some of that lipstick on me. <laughs> Someone takes a picture, and it's like the Victory in Japan Day picture of the sailor bending over the nurse and kissing her, but it's just this Japanese dude smashing his hand into the face of a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the Japanese dude, you know, the hand's over here doing its own thing. He's just watching Netflix on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you done yet, ham? <laughs> Miss Earhart. <laughs> well, once that plane did collide with the Indy, holes were blown in the ship and she began to take on water. But McVeigh was able to limp her all the way back to California for repair. Several crew members now consider the Indy to be an unlucky ship, but said the next time she got hit, you'd be able to drive a bus through the hole. And that's just, that's sexist. That's not how it works, fellas. It doesn't get stretched out like that. It's not a thing. I read it actually uh, gets tighter because the muscles are activated. It's talking about ship, Greg. I don't know where you're going with that. That's fine. But it also... Trucker anus. Oh, okay. That's where you're going. Never mind. Uh. I like that that's your, your panic. Like a very awkward situation <laughs> is happening. Uh, Trucker anus! <laughs> Whew, that's much better than the truth. <laughs> you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner with your in-laws, and your your mom looks at, or your mother-in-law looks at your wife and goes, I don't know how to tell you this, but me and your father are getting a divorce, and grandma's cancer, she has like six weeks to live. You just hear forks and knives being set down on the table. Everybody's like, oh, fuck, what do we do? What do we do? <gasps> Trucker anus! <laughs> <laughs> Greg, do you have something to add to the conversation? Well, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to lighten the mood, I guess. You know, just, uh, <laughs> I was just looking at my phone. I'm sorry. Let me close Grinder. Put that down. What were you saying? 
Something you were saying something about. Usually you do it in that uh, high pitched voice of yours. <laughs> I told you that's not me. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Let me get back to what I was doing. I was having a Thanksgiving feast of my own down here. <laughs> oh, Hambo, not not in the family Thanksgiving. Give me that gravy. God. <laughs> I thought mine was over the line. What? The turkey's dry. That's all I'm saying. Just down here eating my food. What are you talking about? <laughs> you gonna give me a baby or not, Greg? <laughs> get your get your dick off my plate. That's for dessert. <laughs> I know I can move through space and time and pretty much inhabit any empty vessel, but I want another one of me. <laughs> One to mold with my own hand. <laughs> Hambone, stop being so existential about this creepy, weird scenario that can't possibly exist. I don't want to, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, Hambone's the worst thing to ever happen. Ever. Just in general. And to the show. No, I, I mean in general. 9-11, this story, apartheid. Hambone's worse than all Crucifixion of them. Crucifixion of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Hambone. <laughs> yeah, Tops the list. Yeah. Thanks, Dahmer. Was it Dahmer? It was Dahmer. Because uh, I was thinking it was King Leopold with all the hands getting cut off. I went back and did my research. Remember fucking Dahmer had the, uh, he had the piggy dissected. He took it uh. home and you were like, he called it him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just that skeleton of a fucking pig that... The soul inhabited his hand, and <laughs> it went backwards in time and forwards, and it just... This is the worst goddamn podcast on the internet. It's up there. And I've listened to a lot of bad podcasts. It's up there. McVeigh and his men were able to hang out on Mare Island near San Francisco while the ship was repaired. They figured they had a few months, so they began to scatter all over the country. But on July 12th, Naval Command told McVeigh he had 96 hours to get his shit together and have every single one of the 1,196 men ready to sail on a top-secret mission. The men came back to the ship and were placed under what is known as Condition Able, which meant they all did rotating four-hour shifts on watch, making them all simultaneously sleepy and jittery. And they're not even at war, just four-hour watch shifts. That seems a little extreme, but whatever, you know. Just get all wired and sleepy. I know how it feels. I I recently switched shifts. I'm working overnights now on my job as a jack-in-the-box janitor. And <laughs> half a, of a truly just really messes up my world. My head starts swimming because I'm getting four hours of sleep a night. Started hallucinating and sleepwalking. Tried taking Ambien, but I somehow wound up at this club called No Women Allowed Dudes Only. That's it what was, it was called? It, yes, it's... It's very on the nose. Yeah, it's it's very... It's not so much as a club as like this um, like shack someone's constructed off of a nature trail. It's very secluded off there in the woods. Uh, somehow I went up there just dancing all night in a leather vest, and this dude walks up to me, and he's like, Hey, my name's Dudu Jesus. I'm looking for some converts. What are you doing tonight? Well, I'm not sure. W-W-D-D-J. <laughs> D. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the last D, baby. 
It's the biggest one. You forgot the last D, so I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. I'm doo-doo Jesus. You don't smell nice, but you're very sexy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I understand. I understand what these sailors were going through exactly. <laughs> but it wasn't all bad. The Indy was basically a floating city with laundry services, a tailor, butcher, bakery, dentist's office, photo lab, and ice cream stands. Ooh. Yeah, this is actually a true story. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. They had, like, after they set out to sea, they have this shooting competition. See who can shoot down a plane, like, pulls, like, a big, long tube, like a windsock. And they have to calibrate their guns. So, whoever shoots it down wins. And the winner gets free ice cream. That's what happens when there's no women allowed on the ship. Like, ice cream is your reward. You're like, yeah, fuck yeah, ice cream. <laughs> The winner gets ice cream. The loser shoots down the fucking plane. <laughs> right. So the real loser is the pilot. Yeah. How would you like to be that pilot? And it, the better part was they figured out the easiest way to shoot down was to shoot at the cable connecting the plane to the windsock. Mm-hmm. So they're getting dangerously fucking close to that plane. <laughs> like that pilot's like, I better get so much goddamn ice cream for this. Like, yeah, I better get, like, a bowl of Chunky Monkey as I'm flying this plane and getting shot at so you guys can have a competition and entertain yourselves. On the 15th of July, the crew watches ten heavily armed Marines brought on a giant wooden crate and a small metal canister. The crate was secured inside a scout plane hangar, and the canister was welded to a lieutenant's cabin. Both the crate and the canister were then placed under heavy guard. Two Army officers, Major Robert Furman and... Captain James Nolan appeared to be in charge of the transport, but neither one seemed to know jack shit about the army or military life in general. Very suspicious. Hmm. Especially that Furman. He kept collecting all the Nazi memorabilia and saying, someday I'm going to frame a black guy for murder. Mm-hmm. Watch this shit. A murder he committed. A bunch of little, little black gloves. Yeah. Said a bunch of racist shit. Yeah. Why does he keep asking the quartermaster if he get isotoners in? You know how long it takes to get those things out here in the Pacific? Mark Furman, OJ trial. Look it up, kids. We'll probably do it next week. Don't look it up. Well, that'll be our next episode. Shut up, Greg. That's too true crime, bro. It turns out that uh, Robert Furman and James Nolan weren't actually army officers at all. They were scientists, Greg. Top secret scientists. At 5 a.m. on July 16th, the Indy left port and began to head west toward Pearl Harbor. But after just in about an hour, the ship came to a halt. Unbeknownst to pretty much everyone on board, a test was being conducted a thousand miles to the east in the New Mexico desert. Trying to figure out if you, uh, you can make meth without pseudoephedrine. can. It's just blue colored. But man, it's the bomb. The atomic bomb. Which is what they were testing. In New Mexico Desert. <laughs> really gone down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> yeah. That's how my train of thought works, like when I'm trying to fall asleep. Just this fucking circular thing that eventually gets to the point. And then I start Oh yeah, I know what you mean. I have that start having that anxiety. And then I'm thinking about all the awkward shit I've ever said. Like that girl that I could have hung out with in high school. I'm like, oh God, why did I tell her I wasn't er- I couldn't get erect? And she's like, oh, <laughs> What do you mean it's soft in the middle? 
<laughs> oh, uh, nothing. My doctor says my dick fontanelle will harden eventually. He says. <laughs> but it's in dick years instead of human years. <laughs> That's the thing. Look it up. It says by the time I'm 50, he'll be good to go. <laughs> But then, unfortunately, it'll only be hard in the middle. And just floppy on the ends. So this <laughs> weird segment thing, like an earthworm. Well, it was known as the Trinity Test, and it was the first detonation of an atomic bomb in human history. Also unbeknownst to the men aboard the Indy, the crate they had picked up contained the components of the atomic bomb, known as Little Boy, and the metal canister was full of carefully packed uranium-235. I'm sure that lieutenant was super thrilled they welded it to his fucking cabin. <laughs> the ship had actually paused in the ocean to make sure that the bomb test worked before they continued on to Hawaii. The trip to Pearl Harbor was over 2,400 miles, and the ship made it in a record 74 and a half hours. And the way they did this is they never stopped for restroom breaks. It's kind of how my dad traveled. They get all the way on this fucking road trip, and you can't stop at the bathroom, you can't get any food, you're just dying in the back of the car. And he gets there, and he's like, Hi, Grandma! And he, like, shoves her to the ground to race inside and take a piss all over the place, <laughs> just explodes all, all over her trailer bathroom. It's like, I'm just so glad to see you, Grandma! And she's, like, gasping for air because he knocked her, her tube out of her nose, her cannula. She can't breathe anymore, but it was worth it because we got there fast. Let's get some empty Gatorade bottles. For men, Chris. Men, damn it! He always told me just roll down the window and let it fly in the wind. But I wasn't allowed to get it on the, the paint job of our uh, Ford Bronco. Our white Ford Bronco. I don't know why the that was important. It was just I needed to reference the OJ shit again, I guess. That's just how my brain works. I'm loving that OJ shit right now. Yeah. I guess I am. I don't think he did it, Greg. He's innocent. I mean, that's what he told me. He asked me to put on a blonde wig, and he held a knife to my throat the whole time. You know the reason the bloody glove didn't fit OJ, right? Why is that? It was ham bone. <laughs> it was fucking ham bone. <laughs> he, pulled the, he pulls the black glove just over the mouth, and you hear, I'm fucking kill that bitch! I'll kill you too, motherfucker! <laughs> See, it doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. <laughs> That bitch kicked me in the wrong way! <laughs> no, shh, shh, shh. Fuck up, <laughs> We're on national television. Judge Ito's watching. <laughs> Johnny Cochran told us to not make it fit. Yeah. Mm, Johnny who? <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Kim Kardashian's dad's here. He's like... Shut up, my daughter needs to be famous, and this is the only way it's going to fucking happen, is if my name becomes popular. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to be played by Ross Geller in the FX remake of this story, so let's just cool it, alright? Shut up, Hambone, you're ruining everything for everybody. Mm, I'll bite my tongue for now. <laughs> but you're going to stick your tongue in me later. <laughs> Hambone, you're so weird. You're going to start down at the pinky and work your way up. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> this whole show is stupid, Greg. Yeah, you're We're right. talking about a goddamn World War II story, and somehow it's about OJ using a fake hand sex puppet to get out of murder. We've got to work comedy in there somehow, and yes. it's not that funny, so <laughs> what are you going to do? 
That's true. That's true. We'll just talk about a guy who committed double murder. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's all we got. Well, the sailors thought they'd get to disembark in Hawaii and get some Polynesian strange, as the kids call it. But instead, the ship was refueled and immediately set off for the island of Tinian, which was another 3,300 miles away. For some reason, that trip took seven uneventful days. You made it to Pearl Harbor in 24, in uh, 74 hours, you know, less than three days, but, you know, an extra 900 miles takes another 400. They're just goofing off, just fucking slacking. Oh, you know they were. The atomic bomb was taken off the ship, and Captain McVeigh was told to head to Guam, and then to the island of Leyte, where they rejoined the fight in what they assumed would be an invasion of mainland Japan. This is when things started to go wrong. Messages were sent to eight different people outlining the Indies' travel plans. Dudes on Lete never got them, and the other guys who did get them didn't get an arrival date. Everyone just kind of assumed that someone else knew what the fuck was going on. They didn't ask any questions. It's not my problem. That's when I say, as a medical professional, when I see somebody choking in a restaurant, and I'm like, they ain't called 911. They obviously don't need help. I'm just keep enjoying my food here. Did you say a restaurant? A breast? Did I say a restaurant? Yeah, it's a Hooters. I thought, I thought <laughs> like a Hooters. Oh, <laughs> uh. no! Real talk. Every time I do go to, you know, I like the wings at Hooters, and I'll you know go there and actually hang out, watch a sporting event of some sort, have some beer, eat the wings. But I'm like overly disinterested in the women like i am so like i don't think of you as an object you're just a waitress to where the pendulum swings too far the other way yeah like what is wrong Tore, it's like i think i'm maybe i'm being an asshole right now yeah. i'm not paying him any i'm not even looking him in the eyes what <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> look at just bring me a beer god damn it oh fucking beer i Piss on you. <laughs> You're hideous. I do not find you sexually attractive at all. <laughs> I'm only saying this because I respect you. <laughs> Will you date me now? It's just trying to get go back the other way. God. And then I turn her to an incel because she's not interested in me because I never said anything that would make her interested in me. I'm like, I was just too, being too... I held the door open for you. Would you like to see my penis? No, that's not how this works. You whore! <laughs> oh, sure, you'll have sex with the guy who asked you to have sex, but me. <laughs> guy who just tipped 80%. Nope. <laughs> Guess it's all Chad's for you, huh? Yeah. Okay. He's a jerk. <laughs> He'll never respect you like I do, you stupid whore. If any guy backtalked you, you know what I'd do? I'd fight him. Well, that guy grabbed my ass. Well, not that guy. He's big. Um, <laughs> if he was like my little brother, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'd beat him to a pulp. Oh, that is how the brain of an incel works, and it's just scary, man. It's just scary. That uh, That's how my brain worked up until I was 18. Leandy had no way of fighting submarines themselves, and so McVeigh asked for a destroyer escort. He was told there weren't any Japanese subs in the area, and so he didn't need an escort. I also have been told I don't need an escort by the escort service. So we're not doing that shit again. We're not, uh, we're not sending another one out there to be assaulted by you and that weird-ass hand of yours <laughs> with the lipstick on it. 
You know, it's just, uh, I don't have any control over him, but he has all the money, so he has the say, okay? He's the one running this show. He has control over me. <laughs> yeah, right? The fucked up thing was the naval intelligence knew there were subs in the area, but had to keep it a secret because they didn't want the Japanese to find out that they had cracked their codes. They could tell admirals their top secret findings, but McVeigh was just a stupid captain. And stupid captains don't need to know when someone might blow up their ship and kill all of their sailors. Get on my level. So, uh, just to recap, because you made some stupid jokes in the last couple minutes. No one knew where the ship was going. No one knew when the ship would get there. The ship didn't know that there were subs in the area because no one wanted to tell them because they didn't feel it was at their clearance level. So, you might, you know, maybe uh, cause some problems. I don't know. I don't see how they could have seen this coming at all. Well, meanwhile, Japanese Lieutenant Commander Machisura Hashimoto was hanging out in one of the last six Japanese submarines in commission, the I-58. Hashimoto was stressed the F out. He had been at sea for four years and hadn't sunk a single ship. By this point, he had resorted to building a Shinto shrine aboard the sub, and he was praying to it every day. Please, please let me kill someone. That's what religion's all about. Let me murder my enemies. Hey, you got it, baby. As long as you kill them bean burritos first for me. Do 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 Jesus little favor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get that metal tube all sorts of stinky before do do Jesus will show up. <laughs> as the Andy moved toward Leyte, McVeigh had been moving the ship in a zigzag, a maneuver the Navy believed would protect their ships from torpedoes. On July 29th, the sea was rough and the clouds were low, making visibility an issue. Because of this, McVeigh ordered the ship to stop zigzagging. He didn't think the subs could see him. Navy manual said you zigzag when the commander feels like they should. It might be important to note going forward. Maybe a little bit. Since it was hot as balls, he also ordered that all the watertight hatches be left open. He then went below deck to his cabin, stripped naked. (laughs) <laughs> and went to sleep. Oh. I'm sure he did other stuff before he went to sleep. He logged on to Chatterbait, wait till he got enough tokens, <laughs> finished, and then went to sleep. What do you mean, tokens? Apparently. Oh, apparently. On these sites. You don't know? I've never, I've, I've heard things from other people uh-huh. on the internet. Okay. <sighs> My credit cards are maxed out, Greg, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but on these webcam sites, people have a list of things they'll do once they receive a certain amount of tokens as payment. And so, you know, finishing up takes a lot of tokens. You know, you have to get to a certain level before you'll be like, okay, time to log off, right? So that's what he did. That's the joke. Thank you for making explain. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I'm sure our listener doesn't either. I'm sure that I'm the only pervert who's like, <laughs> I'm like calling Capital One at three in the morning. He's like, please fucking extend my credit. Extend this it guy's now. about to- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What'd you say, this guy? <laughs> what? Nope, I didn't say anything. I just- <laughs> uh, okay. Serious stuff's about to happen. Get your shit together. Here we go. (laughs) At around 11 p.m., Hashimoto spotted a ship in the distance. He began to hunt it and quickly realized that not only was it a large ship, it was also completely unguarded. 
He moved closer and then pulled up alongside the Indianapolis. At 12.04 a.m. on July 30th, he gave the order to fire. The I-58 torpedoes could travel up to a mile and carried over 1,200 pounds of explosives, enough to level a city block. Hashimoto had fired six of them. That's enough to level six city blocks. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Good job, Chris. At 12.05, the first torpedo hit the Indianapolis on the right, or starboard side, and decimated the front, or bow, of the ship. As resident nautical expert, I need to teach the people. You're a pro. Jesus. Thank you. I didn't have to Google that shit while I was typing this up at all. (laughs) (laughs) It struck a gas tank containing 3,500 gallons of fuel and sent a fireball flying through the ship that erupted out of a smokestack and climbed hundreds of feet into the air. The heat was so intense that the heavy steel inside the ship grew red hot and melted. Hundreds of men were either vaporized by the explosion or cooked to death by the heat. What smells so good? No, not right now. That's stupid. Not right now. <laughs> shh. Serious moment, Hambone. Shh, shh. I just smell some smoked links. <laughs> you know I love a good link. Hambone, this is the last time. No. Not right now, buddy. Not right now. Okay. Don't cut me off like Leopold's men. <laughs> I won't if you shut the fuck up. I'll just go hang out with Dan. He's not doing anything anyway. Besides, he pays better than you. <laughs> Serious moment! Almost simultaneously, a second torpedo struck further back on the starboard side. The force of both explosions had actually lifted the ship out of the water and forced her off course. The second impact had knocked out three of the ship's four engines, but the fourth kept powering on, pushing the ship forward at 17 knots. The gaping hole where the bow used to be began to swallow tons of seawater. The Indianapolis was doomed, but the worst was yet to come. Alright, some terrible shit is about to happen. We're going to try and, you know, lighten the mood throughout it, but it's, it's about to get... Just so fucking dark in here, guys. Just so dark. Nah, it'll be fine. Yeah. So maybe everyone, myself included, should take a break. Go get nice and drunk. That way nothing's serious. Uh, except, you know, my crumbling marriage. But, you know, I won't bring that up on the show. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Wouldn't want to bring the listener down. Right. Um, but yeah, let's go have a drink. Let's come back. Feeling good? Before I depress the shit out of you, because, uh, you know, it goes good together, being drunk and depressed. Just uh, hand in hand. Well, it always makes one of them better. (laughs) You decide which one. All right, we'll see you in a second, guys. Alright, welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed your break. Hope you paused the show, went and had a drink, went and checked on your family like me and Greg did. Greg was downstairs. I was having some fun make-out times with the wife. 
and uh kid walked in like the kid never walks in never sees us kissing each other like like usually when the kids around my wife is very cold and distant because she doesn't want her to know that it's okay to love me <laughs> but no we were we were we were having some good married makeout times and the kid walks in and my wife's like oh god and i immediately pushed my wife away it's like ah gross get off of me what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> This isn't really fitting to the show character, Chris. I'm sorry. I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then wife, my wife stabbed me and said, you're not as good as my boyfriend. You know, <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> Status quo maintained. It didn't penetrate my blubber, my 600 pounds. I didn't feel there it you. at all. <laughs> oh, well, it is time once again. We got to lighten the mood. We got to lighten things up. So let's lighten up our drinks. Just opened it. Yeah, what an idiot. I'll open another one. All right, let's go. <laughs> it is time for second half seltzer. 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 And three, two. All right. Gregory, are you ready to tell these people a tale of human suffering? That is our collective marriages. I mean, no, the story of the survivors of the Indianapolis. Well, I guess it's my goddamn job, so (laughs) here we go. Well, guys and gals, the explosion rocked Captain McVeigh out of his bunk and onto the floor. He stumbled, naked, up to the bridge. Probably at morning wood. (laughs) Quickly realized that the ship had been struck by torpedoes but thought maybe he could limp back to safety, like he had done in Okinawa. Well, I don't think he was limping back anywhere <laughs> with that thing. <laughs> Needs to call on a seaman first-class hand bone to <laughs> take care of some things first. you imagine you're like this lieutenant on deck, you're like freaking out, the ship's on fire, giant fireball. There's just like guys screaming in agony. And then this dude shows up and he's just got his captain's hat on and just a raging, raging erection. <laughs> what seems to be the problem here? Looking from one direction to the other. What do we do, guys? What do we do? The dick's just <laughs> swinging around hitting his thighs. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> just got to put your hand like over <laughs> the bottom part of your vision. Like, yeah. All right, now I can think clearly. Be careful with that thing. You might tilt the ship. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, Captain McVeigh's first priority was to send out a distress call. He sent Commander John Janney to go to the radio shack to send the message, but the radio shack was gone, just like in uh, modern times. I was supposed to say, this is in 1984? Yeah, it's fucking gone. <laughs> and Janney would die in the fire where it once was. <laughs> you all laughing now, huh? Just like modern days where the homeless guy <laughs> dies inside once it Catches on fire, right? <laughs> the Radio Shack? Yeah. They got burned up for insurance? Yeah. Oh, I'm already sad. We just started. But to be fair, that's my that's my baseline is just sad. Just I'm basically Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, but occasionally get drunk and talk about my dick and I get excited. But uh, for the most part, just baseline of sadness. Well, now I picture Eeyore pulling up to a stoplight and the guy's got the sign. He rolls down his window real slow, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get some money. It says we'll work for food. Hop in. (laughs) I got some work. (laughs) 
take them out to like you know the forest sherwood forest is it sherwood forest uh, i don't know what that for i can't remember that where's that is that robin hood? that's robin hood either way <laughs> takes him out to the forest in winnie the pooh you want to work for food all right start digging um yeah yeah uh okay how deep should i dig oh about six feet <laughs> Uh, just licking his what are those called lips hoofs hoofs. Oh, hoofs okay licking his hoofs just keep digging keep digging boy you ever been to a Eeyore donkey show <laughs> what's that red thing coming out of you oh don't you don't you worry don't you worry about that not yet anyway <laughs> you ever been to a donkey show there's gonna be a one-time performance tonight. <laughs> Pooh shows up. He's like, Hoo-hoo, what are you doing, Eeyore? Oh, nothing, Pooh. That and was the guy, he's like, he's now six feet down and he's crying. The realization <laughs> has hit him as to what's happening. He's like, oh, thank God. Pooh will save me. And Pooh just looks at him and he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I got another one, do we? <laughs> he just starts licking the honey off the rest of his hands. No. No. <laughs> he looks up and all of the animals are there. Piglet's just like, yes, yes. He rubs in his little pig nipples. <laughs> yes, it's time. <laughs> Blood for the forest. Blood for the forest. He's so far deep down in the in the hole at this point. He can't really see anything outside of the top of the hole, but he can hear it. And he's just elated and relieved when he hears Christopher Robin coming. Mm-hmm. But then the uh, the visage of Christopher Robin starts cresting his view from that hole down in it. And he realizes he's wearing a BDSM leather get-up. And he's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> You're right. That was a funny situation. You're right. I'm sorry, Ed. I said I was sad. <laughs> Pull me out of it. Once again, you make me a bastard. <laughs> well, the ship began to list to the right. Probably because of uh, the captain's boner. Yeah, and the giant, giant holes in the, the side of the ship. But yeah. It may be the giant holes. Yeah. It may be the giant holes. And that was turning the deck into an uphill climb. The fire below was so hot that the deck itself turned into a grill, burning the hands and feet of men as they attempted to cross it. Back on the bridge, McVeigh was hesitant to give the order to abandon ship. I think we're okay, guys. I think, uh... Oh, we got it. We're looking good. Like, these guys are doing this. Hot, 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 son of a bitch! Hot, hot! I'll dance on the deck. He's like, look! The men are happy. They're dancing. This ship is fine. (laughs) (laughs) He sent another sailor to check the damage, and that guy was never seen again. Then McVeigh's executive officer showed up and told him the ship was simultaneously full of fire and water and was about to capsize. McVeigh gave the order to abandon ship. It had only been eight minutes since the torpedoes had struck. The problem was, the men hadn't been trained or gone through an abandoned ship drill. It was supposed to be an orderly process where life rafts full of survival supplies were dropped into the water, rope ladders were tossed over the side, and the men unloaded in an organized fashion with the wounded going first. Instead, they got chaos, with dudes crushing each other against the rails and jumping upwards of 80 feet to the water below, 
And yes, some did indeed donk off the spinning propellers like everyone's favorite part in the hit 1997. Eight. I'm going to say eight. No, it's not eight. Hey, Google. Seven movie. When did Titanic come Titanic. out? Titanic. In the United States of America, Titanic came out on December 19th, 1997. Ah! <laughs> you stupid bitch! <laughs> no! Well into 1997. <laughs> Almost Not even close to 98. It was a month away. <laughs> no! <laughs> I only remember you're, because me and my buddy were 16. We went to the movies and we tried to see like Scream 3. I don't know. One of those Scream movies. And they carded us because it was an R-rated movie. A couple 16-year-old dudes were like, oh, okay, we don't have our IDs. What else can we see? We're here. Titanic was there. Flash forward to two 16-year-old dudes sitting next to each other watching this love story. The heart will go on. You look into each other's eyes. Near, (laughs) far, (laughs) wherever you are. And I know. And then your memory fades because at that point it's just a cacophony <laughs> of feelings that you never knew you had as your lips locked into each other. And then you started a podcast with that man. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, we're not the same age. As the men jumped off, Captain McVeigh, who had stumbled back to his cabin and put on some pants finally, stood on the rail and tossed them life vest and shouted, God bless you. I didn't even sneeze. Those guy bouncing off the propeller. Because he said, God bless you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I I was so lost there for a second. (laughs) And uh, Captain McVeigh, he was the last man to bail. Right after he did, the stern of the ship rose straight up into the air, and the Indy slipped straight down into the water. It sank in only 12 minutes. About 300 men had died in those first 12 minutes. The 900 sailors who had made it off were now swimming in a field of black fuel oil. It was thick and sticky and clogged their eyes, ears, and mouths. And they couldn't help but gulp it down. (laughs) (laughs) You want to come to my party, sailors? (laughs) What's wrong with you, Craig? These guys are suffering. Jesus Christ. That's the best part. (laughs) She asked my boy Christopher Robin. <laughs> Chris, you got to take the ball gag out. Takes it out. Blood for the forest. Blood for the forest. <laughs> He's new to this. <laughs> well, many of them were bleeding and burned and were vomiting and pooping from the oily seawater they were drinking. Most of them either had life vests or inflatable life belts, but the life belts sucked because the oil ate into the seams. And then they started leaking air. None of the survivors knew it at the time, but an SOS had actually made it out to the base on Leyte. One commander read it and said, mm, cool, let me know if they send any more messages. Another officer sent out two tugboats to rescue the Indy, but a superior was pissy he hadn't been informed and ordered the tugs to return. Another said, well, message him back. And when they didn't reply, he assumed it was a Japanese prank and went back to bed. Presumably naked. <laughs> Got a message that said, Been hit by torpedoes, sinking. Hundreds of men dead. Over. He's like, oh, thank Christ, it's over. All right, let's just shred that piece of paper. <laughs> 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 Who 
Ooh, crisis averted. <laughs> right? Where were we, Billy? <laughs> so you're telling me it was too warm below the deck to wear pants, but uh, we're not even on a ship. I don't understand what that meant. Hey, just because you're the unit's chaplain doesn't mean you can give me any lip. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to give me some lip. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Are you ready to take my sacrament? <laughs> well, how about I just start with the sack, and we'll talk about the, the rest later. <laughs> the the remnant. <laughs> What's wrong with us? There's got... <laughs> Give me that remnant, Daddy. Give me that remnant. <laughs> when day broke on the 30th, the temperature climbed into the triple digits. The men began to bake in the sun, and uh, the reflected UV light from the waves began to blind them. The seawater was caustic and was like floating in a mild acid bath, softening the men's skin and stripping them of their hair. What, you know, it's not that bad. They're just getting tanned. Yeah, tan. Hairless. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Throw some on a... Cuban, Cuban boys. Dress and some stockings. You can, you can trap somebody right up. Just be like, hey... I'm I'm definitely female, and then you get home, and it's too late. It's too late. Things are going to happen. I'm pot committed. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm slightly disappointed. But, yeah. I mean, still hot. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me drink this. Drink this, so I can at least say I was drunk when this happened. That way, you know, if anybody <laughs> finds out. Excuses. I haven't had a drop tonight, but, <laughs> I mean, you know. You know how the guys are. <laughs> What around 10 a.m., they mercifully drifted out of the oil field and into the clear water of the South Pacific. That night, the temperature dropped once again, creating a real risk of hypothermia as the men's body temperatures slipped into the low 90s and upper 80s. That was when music was just the worst, by the way. Low 90s, upper 80s. I'm pretty sure that's where that Why Waste Your Time song came from. Yeah, there's a lot of good grunge in there, too. Also, the Humpty Hump, which is... When I played at my wedding for our first dance. Okay. I guess you're right. Never mind. I'm sorry. I retract my point. <laughs> it got so bad that the men would announce when they had to pee so that the other sailors could gather around them for the warmth. You know, there was the one sailor who's like plenty warm. Like he's just layered up. He's got like a, a space heater floating on a little piece of driftwood. And the guy's like, He's like, oh, shit, I gotta pee. He's like, coming! Here I am! <laughs> Warm me up, daddy! <laughs> like, no, God, get away from me. <laughs> I need the internal heat, though. He dives down below, puts his mouth on it. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I can't pee when it's hard. <laughs> Too much! <laughs> Probably. <laughs> On the morning of July 31st, one sailor woke up and gave his buddy a nudge to wake him up as well. The man's body then tipped over and floated away. His lower half had been eaten. The sailors then looked down into the water and saw hundreds of sharks circling below. The sharks had likely been following the ship for weeks. They liked to scavenge the bits and pieces of food and trash that the sailors had tossed overboard. Now, they were scavenging the sailors. They started with the dead men first, 
But then they began to pick off the survivors. Their first targets were the naked men because they were more visible in the water, and also because sharks are well known as nature's perverts. <laughs> hey, Steve, look at that guy. Look at him. See that fish just dangling right there? What kind of fish is that? I'm going to get that fucking fish. Give me that fish! You're going to go after that little guppy? Steve is like, you know you know that's a guy's dick, right? He's like, shh, don't tell my wife! <laughs> no, Steve, no, it's not! I don't have my glasses on today. I'm sure it's a fish. See you later. Bye! Please, before Steve can say anything to convince him otherwise. <laughs> Steve's like, I don't know why I go to these clubs with him. I swear. <laughs> Tells me I have drink deals, and then he just abandons me, and uh, then it gets awkward for me. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) The attack quickly ended, but over the next two days, they would resume their feeding frenzy at dawn and dusk. During the daylight, they'd seemingly taunt the men by constantly swimming through the fields of drifting sailors. And at this point, it had been about 40 hours since the ship had sank. Another 300 sailors had died from their injuries, exposure, or were eaten by sharks. And then they began to commit suicide. Sailors watched on in horror as their buddies took off their life vests and sank away. Others began to actively cheer for the sharks to come and drag them away. The ship's physician, Dr. Lewis Haynes, began to watch helplessly as the dehydrated, desperate men began to gulp down seawater. Yeah, and Greg, I uh, I actually tried to get Wolf Dick to uh, book Dr. Lewis Haynes as a guest for our show. Uh-huh. But he couldn't make it. Uh, apparently, he died 20 years ago. But that, oh. didn't, that didn't stop Wolf Dick from harassing his widow for, like, I don't know, weeks on end. And she's trying to figure out why this robot voice keeps calling her in the middle of the night saying, I want to talk to your husband. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't get okay. him. So instead, I don't know if you remember this guy. We had him on for Rasputin. Uh, let's go ahead and see if we can patch him back in. Wolf Dick, let's try and get a hold of our resident medical expert. Dr. Douglas Pepper. Doctor, do you have us? Yeah, one sec. Time of death, 6.37 p.m. Tell the family I'll be out shortly. But if they're crying, yeah. Make them wait longer. I don't want to deal with that shit. God, I hate it when they cry. Uh, sorry about that. What's up, guys? Uh, Dr. Greg and I were wondering uh, if you could possibly tell us why it's a bad idea to drink seawater. Well, basically, seawater contains four times the amount of salt as our normal bodily fluids. Your kidneys can't process that, you become dehydrated, and your blood vessels contract. Eventually, the neurons in your brain begin to misfire, causing severe fatigue and delirium. Unless the patient undergoes massive rehydration, the lowered blood flow causes organ failure and death. Oh, man, that that sounds awful. That's just horrible. Uh, I think uh, Greg also had a question, if you do have the time, Doctor. Oh, yeah, sure. Anything for you guys. Oh, God, not another one. I'm sorry, I gotta go. Starting CPR. Ah, man, I'm sorry, Greg. I know you had a really good question there. Man, I never get to talk to that guy. What the fuck? Well, you know, we should probably stop having him. Uh, He has got to be the worst fucking pediatrician I have ever met. Now, like Dr. Doug, as we like to call him, just said, delirium began to set in amongst the sailors. On Wednesday, August 1st, they began to brutally attack each other. They attempted to stab one another and held other men under the water. In about 10 minutes, another 50 sailors had lost their lives. 
the men began to hallucinate. They saw grocery stores, old girlfriends, wives, cars, and mountains of ice cream. <laughs> Sailors began to dive underwater to visit imaginary hotels, which had bars full of fresh water. <laughs> Sounds like an awful bar. Yeah. Well, they'd go under, pop up, and excitedly tell their buddies what they found, then dive back under the surface, never to be seen again. Well, I mean, at least they got to go to that undersea hotel and have mermaid sex, right? Hell yeah. Those that were lucid were still holding out hope that rescue was on its way. But the guys on Leyte didn't have any clue when the Indy was supposed to arrive, and the guys on Guam assumed that if they hadn't heard anything, that meant the trip had gone smoothly. No one was actually looking for them. Fortunately enough, on Thursday, August 2nd, Navy pilot Chuck Gwynn was flying when the antenna on his plane came loose. He dropped down to a lower altitude, and that's when he spotted hundreds of men floating in the water. He was able to reach outside, fix his antenna, and called in the report. Rescue planes and ships were immediately dispatched. The first to arrive was Lieutenant Adrian Marks, who flew a seaplane capable of landing on the water. Now, this guy was ordered not to land on the rough seas, but said, Fuck that shit. And basically crash-landed in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, he said, hey, the seas are too rough to land. He's like, ah, we'll see. We'll see, right? And he just smashes into the water. He's like, well, my plane's fucked, but uh, I'm still kind of a hero, right, guys? Oh, God, fuck. Now we're just stranded as these assholes. Oh. Well, I mean, definitely, though, because, you know, <laughs> he was able to... Yeah, no. <laughs> He's good. He did a very good job. Well, he and his crew began to pull men out of the water and the more delirious survivors were tied down to the top of the wings using parachute cords. I'm telling you guys, I saw this hand, and it had lipsticks and googly eyes. Oh, my God. Put them on the prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah got on the front. I was like, all right, let's start the engine. So, brrr, they're just spinning around there like, I'm telling you, it was real. <laughs> Slowly, Seaman Johnson is sitting in the backseat of the plane, raises up. He's like, what are you guys doing to him? Oh, sorry. I steal your joke? Yes! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> they're sitting there. Pilot, co-pilot, the crew, they're all laughing. <laughs> this guy's spinning around on the propeller. His face is going underwater like... You know, very cyclical sounding, very rhythmic. And all of a sudden, like, this crazy motherfucker. The pilot, you know, uh, having a good time. Right. And all of a sudden, in his right ear... Hey, sir, what'd that guy do? What the fuck? Oh, my God! <laughs> it's like Alien. He's just sitting all calm, and hand bone opens up, and a little tinier hand pops out and starts drooling on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it's even a higher-pitched voice. <laughs> what the fuck? What is this? Let me suck that dick! Oh, God! Oh, God! The entire crew is never heard from again. <laughs> yeah. Game over, man! Game over! <laughs> well, over the night, in early hours of August 3rd, the survivors were rescued. They were taken aboard ships where they were doused in gas and water to wash the thick oil off. Of the 900 men who were set adrift when the ship sank, only 316 survived. And, uh... You know, Stone Cold 316 says, I just whooped your ass. 
<laughs> okay, that's what that reminds you of. <laughs> yep, uh, two thirds of these guys died, but let me make a wrestling joke from 1997. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, because that's the fucking line that you draw. <laughs> Gravitas. Come on, man. It's the end of the show. <laughs> that that's the line you draw after everything. I mean, we just made a joke about a guy fl- being strapped to a propeller and like waterboarded while Hambone sneaks up behind the pilot. But yes, this is serious business time, goddammit. <laughs> One of the survivors was Captain McVeigh. He was court-martialed for failing to do that whole zigzag maneuver that we talked about. It would never be promoted or command another ship. And again, the naval guidebook said at the captain's discretion, like it was supposed to be his choice to zigzag whether you know, conditions depending. Uh, they just needed a scapegoat, and they found it. Yeah, that's the really fucked up thing about it, honestly. But at least he would uh, have a grandson to go on to do great things in Oklahoma City. <laughs> no, no, no. Different. I mean, not great thing. Uh, great as in big. <laughs> yes, okay, not, just not like Hitler. Not like great as in good. Just like Hitler, got it. Just big. I'm just going to, hold on. Of I'm- enormity. I'm writing down, I'm adding McVeigh to uh, Greg's hero list over here. Fuck you. (laughs) Well, over the years, the families of the dead sailors sent McVeigh threatening and harassing letters. In 1968, he went out into his front yard, laid down on the ground, and blew his brains out with his Navy-issued revolver. In his hand was a toy sailor. In 2001, a space odyssey, uh, I mean, in just regular 2001... His court-martial would be overturned, and his name was cleared. A little late, guys. Well, you know, 33 years late. It's fine. I'm sure he, he's just laughing it up in hell. Like, ha-ha! <laughs> 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 the Indianapolis was the last U.S. ship sunk in World War II. Four days after they were rescued, the atomic bomb, Little Boy, was dropped on Hiroshima. Thank you for clarifying. Didn't want to think they just dropped a boy out of a plane on the city. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Christopher Robin. We know what you've been doing. He's <laughs> got a leather parachute. <laughs> Where'd you get that thing from? <laughs> we were aiming to kill you. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh just sneaks up behind the pilot and fucking slits his throat with a knife. He's got the camo paint on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Who's laughing now, bitch? <laughs> Well, three days after that, Nagasaki was bombed. The war was over. The sinking had been a result of withheld information, and the suffering of the survivors was a result of piss-poor communication and bad assumptions. Funnily enough, these are the same reasons that most marriages fail, and that is why I always let my wife's boyfriend know exactly how I'm feeling. End of story. Woo! All right, we told that story with the seriousness, gravita, you know, the... Grace. Grace, yes, grace and uh, dignity that it deserved. Nothing more, nothing less. But now, Gregory, it is time for... Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Dr. Lewis Haynes, the ship's physician, gave so many circumcisions to the crew of the Indianapolis 
the sailors on board nicknamed her the Clipper Ship. Fast Fact Number 2 The uranium-235 transported by the Indy amounted to about half of the total uranium available to the United States at the time. It was estimated to be worth $300 million in 1945 money. And then, on August 6th, the wasteful U.S. government just blew it all up. Fast Fact Number 3 In addition to torpedoes, the Japanese also used chitons which were single-seat, tiny submarines with bombs at the end. The whole idea was for the pilots to sacrifice themselves by exploding into the side of a ship, but more often than not, they overshot, ran out of fuel, and sank, at which point the pressure of the ocean would crush the man inside. Fast Fact Number 4 The sharks that hunted the men of the Indianapolis were likely oceanic white tips, which are known to be the most aggressive species of shark. Based on the number of sharks and the number of victims, the attacks on July 31st through August 3rd are not only the deadliest shark attacks of all time, but one of the most deadly animal attacks in all of human history. All right, we did it once again. Be sure to check us out at 100 Proof History on social media, 100proofhistory.com. There you will find links to our Patreon, which you can subscribe to. Three bucks a month, get you bonus episodes, early releases, and old episodes. Good shit. Good, good shit. Gregory, what else? I just want to say to the audience, I'm sorry. I'm not. Blood for the forest! (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Robin reigns again! (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Like, there's a bunch of sailors floating in the water, and one of them, like, oh, man, I see my wife. And he's like, I see my girlfriend. And he's like, oh, I see a big bowl of chocolate ice cream. He's like, what is wrong? I mean, I see a girl, too, guys. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> right, fellas? I see an ice cream-shaped penis. <laughs> what? But... It's attached to a very pretty girl. Very pretty girl indeed. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Indulge. Another guy's like, I see a disembodied hand that keeps saying it wants to deep throat me. I sure do. <laughs> Stay alive for me, sailor. Oh, we must be losing it now. <laughs> yeah. Nope, nope. I am completely no, you're lucid. Not. You're not. Come back. <laughs> Come back. I am completely lucid. That's just a guy with a painted up hand. Seaman Johnson, what are you doing? Stop it! <laughs> you have like the uh, the life vest, but it's just the hand above water talking. <laughs> and they're like, wait, no, he's just barely breathing right above water inside of the life vest so he can't see his mouth. <laughs> no, that's not true! <laughs> <laughs> Come here, give me that big old hog! <laughs> Starts diving underwater. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) Sharks are getting me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what's wrong? This (laughs) show is terrible. God damn it. (laughs) 
merman sex. <laughs> I'm not going to judge. You have sex with other whatever half fish, half person you want to. I'm open-minded as hell. Even though you just called me close-minded like 10 seconds that, that's ago. <laughs> only, that's the only reason why you're open-minded, because I did that. <laughs> yeah, you've changed my life. You put your dick wherever it'll fit, people. Including inside other dicks. You don't know. You're not a doctor. No, I don't know. I don't know that in ancient Assyrian, penis wasn't wor- the word for vagina. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> that's true. 